Would you please uh, take the Word of God with me this evening and turn to the book of Exodus in chapter 13. Uh, Exodus and uh, chapter 13. We uh, spend, uh, spend quite a bit of time in Exodus chapter 12, which was the institution of the Passover. Uh, we saw the tenth plague, and uh, we see how God would bring the children uh, out of Egyptian bondage, how he did so. And we come now to chapter 13. In chapter 13, we're still in keeping with uh, the idea of the Passover. And uh, as, we've, as I've mentioned here, it's, it's repeated. But every time it's repeated, the idea of the Passover or the Feast of Unleavened Bread, something else is given to us in addition. And so it's not just, uh, you know, God's Word is, is very purposeful. Uh, nothing is there by mistake. Uh, nothing is there even if something is repeated over and over again. It's probably because we need to hear it uh, again and again. And uh, one of the keys to teaching is repetition. And God repeats Himself often. And often He repeats Himself, gives us some truths that he, He's already given, but then He builds on those truths. And so in Exodus chapter 13 is what we find here. And um, we're going to begin reading here Exodus chapter 13 in verse 1, and we'll read down to uh, verse, verse number 16. Uh, we're going to stand here in just a moment. Uh, but as we, let me give you a, a, just a basic overview of, of this section here in Exodus chapter 13. He's going to give them a review of the feast, and he is going to add an element in there, and that is that the firstborn of every household and on every, every beast is to be sanctified. The word sanctified means to be set apart. Uh, for a specific use. It is to be declared, it is to be hallowed, it is to be declared holy. And so he's going to talk about the feast in connection to the idea of the sanctification of the firstborn. He's going to give us in this text the foundation of the feast. Why do are the children of Israel to observe the feast of unleavened bread? He's going to encourage them to continue the performance of the feast of unleavened bread Year by year, it was a yearly feast. The feast of the Passover and unleavened bread uh, is, again, in the month Abib, which is to be repeated every year. Uh, we also see here in this text the feast and its influence it's supposed to have. Uh, it's interesting here that when God uh, institutes a special feast or something, there's a significance to it, and its design is to have an influence on the generation to come, the next generation, to pass that on. Uh, then we see that there's, um, in the firstborn, the feast is reenacted. Now, not like the Passover, that was only done one time, but it is reenacted in a different way. And we'll look at that in the text. And then finally, we're going to see, look at the provision of the feast. But let's look at our text here. And read verse 1 down to verse number 16. So let's stand together for the reading of God's Word as we honor God and the reading of His Word. As I have often mentioned, uh, what God has to say is much more important than what I have to say. And so what God says here is perfect. There's no doubt that in my delivery often is imperfect. And so um, we're going to do our best here to uh, do a careful reading of the text. So Exodus chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. 
God's word says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Sanctify unto me all the firstborn, whatsoever openeth the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and of beast, it is mine. And Moses said unto the people, Remember this day in which ye came out from Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by strength of hand the Lord brought you out from this place. There shall be no leavened bread be eaten. Uh, this day came ye out in the month Abib. And it shall be when the Lord shall bring thee into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, which he sware unto thy fathers to give thee a land flowing with milk and honey, that thou shalt keep this service in this month. Seven days thou shalt eat unleavened bread, and in the seventh day shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days, and there shall no leavened bread be seen with thee, neither shall there be leaven seen with thee in all thy quarters. And thou shalt show thy son in that day, saying, This is done because of that which the Lord did unto me when I came forth out of Egypt. And it shall be for a sign unto thee upon thine hand and for a memorial between thine eyes that the Lord that, that the Lord's law may be in thy mouth for with a strong hand hath the Lord brought thee out of Egypt thou shalt therefore keep this ordinance in his season from year to year and it shall be when the Lord shall bring thee into the land of the Canaanites as he swear unto thee and to thy fathers and shall give it thee that thou shalt set apart unto the Lord all that, that openeth the matrix, and every firstling that cometh of a beast, beast which thou hast, the male shall be the Lord's. And every firstling of an ass thou shalt redeem with a lamb, and if thou wilt not redeem it, then thou shalt break his neck. And all the firstborn of man among thy children shalt thou redeem. And it shall be when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, What is this? that thou shalt say unto him, By strength of hand the Lord brought us out from Egypt, from the house of bondage. And it came to pass, when Pharaoh would hardly let us go, that the Lord slew all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all that openeth the matrix, being males, but all the firstborn of my children I redeem. And it shall be for a token upon thine hand, and for frontlets between thine eyes, for by strength of hand the Lord brought us forth out of Egypt. I'd like to bring your attention to verse 2. The Lord says to Moses, Sanctify unto me all the firstborn. He mentions the last three words of verse 2. He says, It is mine. I'd like to preach this evening on uh, this thought, sanctifying unto the Lord. Sanctifying unto the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this evening uh, for the opportunity to study your word. I pray that uh, the message would be delivered clearly so that it could be understood and that it could be applied. I pray that you would guide my words and my thoughts and Lord, we pray that uh, this uh, time of the study of your word would be uh, for our profit, uh, that the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be glorified. And Lord, may you 
uh, be lifted up in our midst in this evening's meeting. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, thank you. You may be seated. As we come here to our text, I want to mention once again that when uh, the Lord speaks to Moses again, He says in verse 2 certain things, and then Moses is going to speak unto the people. And you find that pattern repeated uh, through uh, the last, uh, really throughout all the plagues from Exodus chapter 3 all the way here to Exodus. And by the way, that's going to continue where God speaks to Moses and Moses speaks to the people. And uh, here the Lord, and it's interesting here because what God tells Moses in verse 2 is really expanded upon uh, from verse 3 through our text through verse 16. And I want you to make, I want to make the connection here from verse 2 to the end of the text we just read. He says, when the Lord speaks to Moses in verse 2, he says this, Sanctify unto me all the firstborn whatsoever openeth the womb among the children of Israel, both of male and of beast, it is mine. And notice if you um, uh, jump down to verse 15, and it shall come to, and it came to pass when Pharaoh would hardly let us go that the Lord slew all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all that openeth the matrix being males, but all the firstborn of my children I redeemed. So there's an emphasis here on the firstborn, and this is really the, the consecration of the firstborn to God. Uh, Now, why is that so important here? It's important here because included in this chapter are what we can refer to as the consequences which flow or which result from the redemption of bondage. Uh, These uh, requests here that God asks of the people of Israel are founded upon the idea that they have been brought out. In other words, the whole idea of the observance of the Feast of Unleavened Bread is directly connected to their redemption from Egyptian bondage. If you notice with me, after God speaks to Moses in verse 2, and He says, Sanctify the firstborn unto me, it is mine. Uh, We know, by the way, that who, by the way, was redeemed when we think about uh, the Passover. Who was going to die? The firstborn out of every house. It was not everybody in the household that was going to die. It was only the firstborn in the house that was going to die. And so here now, God uh, speaks to Moses and He says, The view is the entrance into the promised land. And so we're going to... um, I'm going to remind... I want you to remind the people that when you get there, you're going to do something. There's going to be a, a specific emphasis when you observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread, when you observe the Passover... And it's going to be a focus on the firstborn. Why? Because that the firstborn were the ones that were redeemed. In the sense, they were the ones that were under the judgment, and therefore they are the, to be the ones that are dedicated unto the Lord. Now, an application for us directly, for us as believers, is we know what the Bible says concerning us being sanctified or set apart for the Lord's use. Uh, when Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he said, Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, uh, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. 
Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And so the idea here is that if God acts in grace towards his people, he thereby establishes a rightful claim upon them. Uh, And it is these claims that are here unfolded in this text. It was the firstborn of Israel who had been redeemed from the death judgment, and now the Lord claims the firstborn to himself. Uh, I think we could even quote Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so by application, we know directly here he's talking about the firstborn that were redeemed. They were the one that were under the death sentence. Well, we know by application that we are all, uh, as sinners, under the death sentence of God. Uh, But we have been redeemed out of the bondage of sin, and therefore we belong to God. Why? Because we have been bought with a price. Remember, when God uh, sent Moses and Aaron to speak to Pharaoh, he says, let the people go that they may what? Serve me. And so they were redeemed unto what? They were redeemed unto service. They were not redeemed just to be free, to do as they wanted, to live as they pleased. They were free to serve God. And so it is with us today, by the way. God did not save you so that you could live your life as you please. God saved you so that you could serve Him. And so we look in our text and we find a number of things here that are emphasized. First of all, He deals with, and by by the way, our, our our personal devotedness is the first thing which God has a right to look for And anybody who has been uh, blood-bought. And so may we be personally devoted to the Lord. Now notice here, as Moses now speaks unto the people from verse 3, notice verse 3 through verse 7, we see the feast and its foundation. It's important here to, to, to trace when we go from this point on and when we follow the children of Israel throughout the Old Testament when we find them doing different things, whether it is the observance of a feast or uh, the observance of a holy day or whatever it was, it was always connected often to a work that God did. In other words, there's a foundation for to the feast. Now, notice here, he mentions this in verse 3. Moses said unto the people, Remember this day in which... Ye came out from Egypt. Now, what is that day that he's talking about? Well, we know that when the lamb was slain that night and the blood was uh, sprinkled on the doorpost, the death angel passes, and we know that Pharaoh sent word by night. Uh, By the way, when they were to eat, begin to eat the lamb at night, they were to do so all dressed up with their shoes, ready to go. And God redeemed them that night. That night, the... um, uh, Pharaoh said, you need, to, you need to leave. And so really on the, the first day that the Feast of Unleavened Bread is to be observed is that day that he's talking about, uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. He says, remember this day, the day of what? The day of redemption. The day of deliverance. Uh, the day where the children of Israel 
are set free by the blood of the Lamb, according to what had happened. He says, in which he came out from Egypt. Uh, well, what does Egypt represent? He says, out of the house of bondage. And so he says, remember this day, what day? The day that you uh, came out of Egypt. Well, what's so significant about Egypt? Well, it was the house of bondage. It's where you were in bondage. You were slaves. You could not get out. Uh, notice for, and, and how did they get out of, of, of bondage? He notices, for by strength of hand, the Lord brought you out from this place. And so he says, how did God do that? He did that by his power. Now, it's interesting that uh, there are ten plagues, but it is the last one that caused the Pharaoh to say, you need to leave. And it was uh, the mighty hand of God. He says, there shall no leavened bread be eaten. And so immediately here, as we're talking about the feast, he talks about the foundation of the feast. You see, what they are to do now, year by year by year, when they have in view their entrance into the promised land, they are to observe the feast of the Passover and the feast of unleavened bread. Why? Because there is a foundation that lies beneath that, and that is the redemption from Egyptian bondage by the hand of God. And um, by the way, what we do as Christians also has a foundation, and that is the work of, that Christ has done for us. Uh, we... Uh, do we do not form a religion because we think it is a good thing to do or a moral thing to do. There is a foundation that gives us the reason why we do what we do. And the children of Israel, every year when they're to observe that feast, they're to remember their deliverance, their deliverance. And so he mentions here not only the feast and its foundation. Notice in verse 4, he says, This day came he out in the month Abib. Verse 5, And it shall be when the Lord shall bring thee into the land of the Canaanites and of the Hittites and the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, which he swear unto thy fathers to give thee a land flowing with milk and honey, that thou shalt keep this service in this month. Seven days shalt thou uh, eat unleavened bread, and then the seventh day shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days, and there shall be no leavened bread be seen with thee, neither shall there be leaven seen with thee in all thy quarters. Now, that has been mentioned a number of times already in Exodus chapter 12. Now, this time when he mentions it, he mentions it in the context of the promised land. He mentions the idea of observing the Feast of Unleavened Bread in the midst of a land that is filled with Canaanites and Hittites and Amorites and Hebites and Jebusites, who are what? Who are idolaters, who are a pagan people. And so the idea here of leaven, as we've looked already in chapter 12, uh, leaven is a picture of sin. It is seen in a ne negative light almost every single reference in uh, the, the Word of God. And so I I've already dealt with some of this, but I want to here bring in the context of, he says, you're going to observe that when you go into the land and you are in the midst of pagan nations, you're going, you need to remember to observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, let me give you a brief review. The month of Beeb, they're to change their calendar. It's supposed to be now the first month of the year. In that first month on the 10th day, they're to select the lamb. The lamb is to be selected and be kept for five days. On the 14th, on the night of the 14th, the lamb was slain. And then that would begin that night, 
the feast of unleavened bread for seven days. And so from the 14th day to the 21st day, seven days of feast are to be observed where the children of Israel are to eat bread unleavened. The le- not only is the bread to be unleavened, but their entire house has to be completely empty of leaven. In other words, they are to, uh, the idea here is the, the feast and its performance that when you perform uh, the feast is make sure that there is no leaven that is present. Now, I spent some time talking about the idea of leaven. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul writes to the church at Corinth, he says, Purge out the old leaven of wickedness and malice. That's what he says. But uh, I, I, I want to bring us, uh, bring us to the attention of something else, and that is to the teaching of Jesus Christ, just to try to make application. Now, if you've missed the preaching that I've done on the Feast of Unleavened Bread, you need to go back and listen to it because uh, the idea of leaven that Jesus is going to talk about has its foundation in mind, Exodus chapter 12. Now, the idea of leaven here is the idea that sin is present. And we talked about leaven and what it does to bread. Jesus, during His ministry, He criticized the Pharisees, the Sadducees, uh, he's criticized uh, them for, uh, their, for, for really many different things. But he then told his disciples to beware. And there are three times distinctly that Jesus Christ says, you need to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. He then says on another occasion, you need to beware of the leaven of the Sadducees. And then finally he says, you need to beware of the leaven of Herod. Now, the idea here is us understanding that leaven represents corruption. And when Jesus Christ is saying to his disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and of Herod, he's saying beware of the influence of leaven, of the corrupting influence of those groups. Now, I want to I wanna spend some time to help us with application here as to what that means here. We know that the children of Israel, the understanding is, we're to, supposed to separate from sin And we're supposed to be careful when we go to the promised land to not have corrupting influences in our lives. The idea of um, purging out leaven from their houses and from the bread is the idea of separation. And by the way, if you proceed and you read later when they got to to, to the promised land, what corrupted them? Yeah, the idolatry and the pagan influence of those other nations that were around them. What did they not do? Uh, They did not purge out leaven. Now, I'm concerned for what Jesus told his disciples, just by way of application. Okay, how how can we apply this to to our lives as believers uh, when Paul says, purge out the leaven of malice and wickedness? And when Jesus Christ warned his disciples, says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, Sadducees, and Herod. So let's go, if you would, while you hold your place here in Exodus 13, turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Now, um, Jesus Christ, we could read all throughout his ministry, he had much to say, even, uh, you'll find even later in uh, Matthew chapter 26, he uh, deals with the uh, hypocrisy of the scribes and he exposes all of them. But notice here what he says in Matthew chapter 16. Uh, notice with me verse, verse 6. 
Uh, by the way, when you if you look at the beginning here, uh, well, look at verse 1. Just we get the context leading up to verse 6. The Pharisees also with the Sadducees came and tempting desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. And he answered and said unto them, When it is evening, ye say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red in the morning. It will be uh, uh, foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. O ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but ye cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given unto it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. And he left them and departed. By the way, the the sign of the prophet Jonas is going to be three days and three nights in the uh, in, in the in the earth, and then after three days is going to rise from the dead. That's the sign of Jonas. And by the way, he said that in another reference. I'm not just making that up. Verse five. And when his disciples were come to the other side, they forgotten to take bread. And notice here. Uh, so they're obviously talking about bread. Verse six. Then Jesus said unto them. Now this is just like the Lord. They're, they forgot the bread. It's physical bread. They are very interested, the disciples, in bread. But that is not Jesus' priority. Uh, Jesus would tell His disciples at another time, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Often you find Jesus Christ ministering to individuals while His disciples went out to buy meat, (laughs) while they could have been learning at the feet of Jesus. Verse 6, Then said unto them, Jesus unto the, the disciples, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. Now, without going into all the details and every reference that Jesus Christ makes to the Pharisees, uh, here we understand that uh, he says, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Now, if you remember, just by way of description, the Pharisees, that's what Jesus said, the Pharisees made the word of God void by the traditions of men. He often called them hypocrites. Why? Because he would say at one point, uh, they, may, they make broad their phylacteries. Uh, they, they were what Jesus calls them. They were hypocrites. And so when we think about the leaven of the Pharisees, what is that leaven? How could the disciples who were followers of Christ be corrupted by the leaven of the Pharisees? Well, the leaven of the Pharisees, we could say, is really formalism and legalism. You see, they, they had a, a, an outward show, an outward standard. Uh, they were vi- very ritualistic, almost you could say sectarian in their behavior, and they lived for the approval of men. Uh, they wanted people to be impressed with them. Uh, the, the clear picture is found when Jesus Christ talks and he compares the publican with the Pharisee. The Pharisee goes to the temple and he says, Look, God, I thank you that I'm so great and I'm not like this sinner over here. That is the leaven of the Pharisees. Uh, the idea of hypocrisy and formalism and, and legalism and ritualism. In Luke chapter 12, verse 1, in the meantime, the Bible says, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people insomuch that they trod one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples, first of all, beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now I want you to notice here, who is he saying that to? He's saying that to his disciples. Now we uh, must be honest with ourselves And we uh, must not think to ourselves, well, I am not a Pharisee because I've accepted Christ as my Savior. I am not a Pharisee. I'm not a hypocrite because I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. No, hypocrisy can be present in us 
And Jesus Christ warned of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now, Jesus said that they do what they do to be seen of men. They make their alms before men. They uh, say their prayers to be heard of men. And so their public life was evidenced by their religion, but there was nothing genuine in their private life. Why? Because they lived for the rewards of men. They live for the rewards of men. So I, I say to us today, uh, if we're going to, uh, in a sense, uh, purge out the leaven in our lives, we have to purge out the leaven of hypocrisy. Where we live for the praise of men, where all we try to do, and the reason why we do things is because we want people around us to be impressed with our religion, we want people to be impressed with our lives, and we care very little for God and what He thinks about us. Uh, that's the leaven of the Pharisees. And by, by the way, that, that's, that's empty and, and fickle, and uh, those who live that way are miserable. Why? Because they have the reward. The applause of men. And that's empty and shallow. But then he mentions the leaven of the Sadducees. Uh, he mentions both the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of the Sadducees. Uh, there is not a direct statement like Jesus makes. He says uh, the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, but the, 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 the Sadducees are very well described. And he says, Jesus, beware of the leaven of the Sadducees. We could say that the leaven of the Sadducees can boil down to materialism. Uh, why? Because they denied the spirit within man. They denied and rejected the truth of the resurrection. Uh, they were very materialistic. They were very earthly in their mindset. Uh, they were interested in uh, uh, holding in one hand the ideas of Judaism and the Torah, and on the other hand, embracing uh, Greek philosophy and bringing those two together. So they were, on the one hand, <laughs> uh, they looked like they were interested in the things of God and religion, but yet denied important spiritual truth. And at the same time, they were... Uh, willing to assimilate the philosophies of the world in their lives. Well, we, we still deal with that type of leaven today. Where there is a lot of people who want to hold in one hand to religion and to the Word of God, uh, and at the same time, they try to hold on to the philosophies of the world, and if they're going to hold on to the philosophy, uh, philosophies of the world there are going to be some truths in the Word of God that they're going to have to deny. Because you can't hold those two together. And that's the philosophy, the, the leaven of the Sadducees. But then he mentions the, the leaven of Herod. There's one reference in Mark chapter 8, verse 15, where he says, Take heed and beware of the leaven of Herod. Now, what's the leaven of Herod? Well, uh, we could spend some time. Again, I'm not going to do, do, the, do that for sake of time. Uh, but Herod is pretty well described throughout uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We could say that the leaven of Herod is that of worldliness. It is that of carnality. It is the friendship of the world. You see, uh, Herod was a very carnal man. 
Uh, You remember, John the Baptist confronted his sin publicly, and as a result, John the Baptist was beheaded. You see, friendship, the Bible says, that friendship with the world is enmity with God. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. And I think that we, as we think about, okay, uh, by application here, we know we read back in Exodus chapter, uh, chapter 13 that when they go to the land, in the context of the Canaanites and the Jebusites and the Perizzites and the Hivites who are ungodly and pagan nations and God who knows that there is going to be some measure of influence in their lives that, that every year in the month of Beeb, there are they are to observe the Feast of the Passover or the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And when they uh, are, are, are doing that, they have to have the mindset as we have to beware of the corrupting influences in our lives. We have to beware and maybe ask ourselves every year this question, Am I being influenced by the leaven of the Canaanites or the leaven of the Hittites and the Hivites and the Jebusites? And it would do us well to ask ourselves often, am I, is there some leaven of hypocrisy in me? Is there some leaven of the Sadducees in me? Is there some leaven of Herod in me? And by the way, we don't observe today the Feast of the Passover, but we do observe the Lord's table. We do that as a church four times a year. That's a good reminder. But we also can do that every week on Sunday when we come to church together. By the way, we can also all do that individually in our own homes when we open the Word of God daily. We can say as the psalmist, Lord, would you search me? Try me and see if there be any wicked way in me. We could put it this way. God, if there is any leaven, would you purge it out? So we see the feast and its foundation, the feast and its performance. But I want you to notice here now the feast and its influence. So notice here as we resume back in Exodus chapter 13, uh, notice what he says in verse 8. So he says... um, And thou shalt show thy son in that day, saying, This is done because of that which the Lord did unto me when I came forth out of Egypt. And it shall be for a sign unto thee. Now, just let me point you out in verse 8. And thou shalt show thy son. Now, the context of the chapter is the firstborn son. Right? So he doesn't say, Thou shalt show thy sons. There's only one firstborn son in each family. And so that's where the emphasis of this chapter has been directed at the beginning of the chapter. And so here he says, Thou shalt show thy son, thy firstborn son in that day. What day? Well, we're talking about the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Saying, This is done because of that which the Lord did unto me when I came forth out of Egypt. And it shall be for a sign unto thee upon thine head, and for a memorial between thine eyes, that the Lord's law may be in thy mouth, and with a strong hand hath the Lord brought thee out of Egypt. Thou shalt therefore keep this ordinance in his season from year to year. Now at the beginning of verse 8 he says, in that day. He is looking here, in that day, what day? When they get to the promised land, when the children of Israel settle into the land, as he mentioned earlier, of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And so when you get there in that day, you're going to show and do what the Lord has done. 
Now, notice again, he says, This is done, verse 8, Because of that which the Lord did unto me when I came forth out of Egypt. Notice verse 9, he says, um, And it shall be for a sign. What is the it? It shall be for a sign. What's the it? Well, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is the subject of the text. The Passover is the subject of the text. But particularly the idea of sanctifying the firstborn, as we will see in just a moment. And so, uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is the subject of the text, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so, notice he says, what is this going to be for you, the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread? And notice he mentions two things. It's going to be, in verse 9, a sign unto thee upon thine hand. Then the second thing he says, and for a memorial between thine eyes. Now, this is very interesting. The idea here of the hands and the eyes, if you uh, think about the New Testament reference when Jesus Christ um, basically says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, in Matthew chapter 23, in in verse 5, he says this to them. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their, what's the word? <laughs> phylacteries. And enlarge the border of their garments. What's the phylacteries? It's the idea of tying something around your hand and tying something around your head. Where does that come from? The first reference to the Jew would be to this reference. The second reference would be in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now, I want you to see here, because here this is very important. Now, the Jews later, particularly the Pharisees, they would make broad their phylactery. So they, they, they would take what the Word of God says concerning the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and every year they would wrap around, it was kind of, if you would, a... Uh, a long leather strap they would wrap around. There would be scripture in it. And then they would uh, uh, um, basically tie. It was basically like a box that contained within the box a, a parchment, a small parchment with a reference of scripture. And it was tied around their head. And they would make those broad. They would make them bigger. They would emphasize them. And they missed the point. They would walk around and with their heads up in the air, uh, so that everybody would see how broad and how large their phylactery was, and the bigger it was, the more spiritual they were. You see, they were to observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread as a memorial every year, not in the literal sense so that they would put something around their hand, and put something around uh, their head between their eyes. Notice the answer is right there in the verse. Verse 9. And it shall be, what, the Feast of Unleavened Bread? For a sign unto thee upon thine head, and for memorial between thine eyes, to do what? That the Lord's law may be in thy mouth. For with a strong hand hath the Lord brought thee out of Egypt. And so notice he says here that you're going to do this year by year as a memorial every year so that the Lord's law may be in thy mouth. 
You see, the tying of things on the hand or the placing it before or between the eyes is to a person, is basically done so that something is brought to remembrance. The idea is if it's right there, well, you can't miss it. <laughs> Nobody misses it. You use your hands for everything. And so every time you move your hands, you, you remember that there is something that is tied around your hand. And so the idea here is you do, you do something year by year by year because it needs to be a sign. You need to remember. Now the Jews would later understand that as being literal, but it is not to be literal. So among the Jews, basically a, a slip of parchment on which was written some text of Scripture particularly of, uh, it was worn uh, by people who would be devoted either on their foreheads or around their breasts or uh, even uh, around their, their hand as a mark of their religion and of their dedication. And, and they missed the point. You see, just because you have the scripture showing on top of your head, and everybody knows that you're carrying the Scriptures around, does not mean that you're living by the Scriptures. But again, what did Jesus call them? He called them hypocrites. Why they would make broad their phylacteries. And so this observance, notice he talks about here, we see the feast and its influence. In other words, why are they to repeat? Notice he says, because of thy son. Your firstborn son that you're going to set apart, your firstborn son that you're going to sanctify, you're going to explain to him every single year so that he remembers it just like it's something that's tied around his arm, just like something that is tied around his head so that they do not forget what? What God has done. Notice they don't need to experience what the fathers experience. They just need to be taught what God has done. You know, this is very important for us, and I've emphasized this throughout the, these chapters, but I will say it again because I believe it's important. God has primarily designed the next generation to be reached, not by experience, but by the teaching of the parents. We find that all throughout the, the last 11 chapters. God says, I'm doing this because I want you to teach your children. Why? They're not going to have the miracles done before them. They're not going to see the wonders and the miracles. But what is sufficient for you to do is you must teach them. You must teach them. And so we see the feast and its influence. But then we see the feast and its reenactment. Notice with me in verse 11. He says, And it shall be when the Lord shall bring thee into the land of the Canaanites, as he swear unto thee and to thy fathers, and shall give it thee, that thou shalt set apart unto the Lord all that openeth the matrix, and every firstling that cometh of a beast which thou hast, the male shall be the Lord's. And every firstling of an ass that thou shalt redeem with a lamb, and if thou wilt not redeem it, then thou shalt break his neck. Now who's the he, him, and... Okay, so... And all the firstborn of uh, man among thy children shalt thou redeem. So I want you to notice here, basically this is a... Now, we don't know this. This is the first time that Moses communicates out to the children of Israel. When they get to the promised land, you're going to do in some form a reenactment of what the Passover is all about. Who was redeemed? The firstborn was redeemed. The firstborn in this passage says that 
according to God, they need to be sanctified, set apart, and you need to remind thy son every single year by doing what? A reenactment. Now, what is this? Well, you are to select the firstborn ass, and then that ass that you select, who is a firstborn of beast, he is going to stand in the stead or represent your firstborn son. And then what you're going to do every year is you're going to take a lamb and you're going to redeem the ass with a lamb. Now the ass is a representation of corruption and sin. And the lamb is representative of Christ. And he says that you are to take a lamb every single year and you're going to redeem the ass, the firstborn ass, which is representative of the firstborn son, and you're going to redeem the ass with the lamb. Now, in other words, you're not going to reenact it and say, well, if you don't sacrifice a lamb, then your son dies. He says, if you don't sacrifice a lamb, then you break the neck of the ass. That's what he says. And so... The son would be every year. Every year, by the way, every year they're supposed to do that. And the son says, Dad, why are you sacrificing the lamb for this donkey? Well, see, son, you see, our fathers were in the land of bondage in Egypt. And God said that Every household had to take a lamb, and then that lamb had to be slain, and then that the blood of that lamb had to be spread on the doorpost so that your life could be spared. And so we, we're not doing that again today, but you need to realize that that, that, that uh, donkey is representative of your life. And so every year, I want you to be reminded, son, every year, that there is... A donkey that's going to be spared, but a lamb is going to be sacrificed for that donkey. There might be peradventure when there is no opportunity for someone uh, to, uh, to sacrifice a lamb. I don't know what the context would be, but let's say that was the context. They, 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 they don't want to sacrifice a lamb. They are to break the neck of the ass. And the son said, well, why would you break his neck? He's a good donkey. He's going to be productive. Why, why would you do that? And he would have to say, there was no lamb to redeem it. And it would be a reminder to that firstborn son. Remember that the ass is representative of him. Notice, notice the text. He says this in, um, notice verse 13. And every firstling of an ass... Thou shalt redeem with the lamb. And if thou wilt not redeem it, the ass, then thou shalt break his neck, the neck of the ass, and all the firstborn of man among the children shalt thou redeem. You see, the ass is representative of the firstborn. The firstborn's not going to lose his life. But if there's no lamb, the ass will. Does that make sense? So this is the, the feast. We see there's a reenactment. That's the first time we've seen this. This has not been explained. But he says, when you get to the promised land that God has promised, that's what you're going to do every single year when you observe this feast. Why? Because your firstborn son has been set apart for God. And he needs to be reminded of that year after year after year after year. year understand this. 
that, that for the remainder of their lives, a firstborn son would have a lamb die for him every single year. That is until Jesus Christ came. There is no need then for sacrifice. Why? Because Jesus is sufficient. We see one more thing. So we all see the feast and its foundation, the feast and its performance, the feast and its influence, the feast and its reenactment. But then we see, notice, the feast and its provision in verse 14. And it shall be when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, What is this? That thou shalt say unto him, By strength of hand the Lord brought us out from Egypt, from the house of bondage. Now, what was the event that God demonstrated His mighty hand by? By the death of a lamb. Do we understand that? That by the death of the lamb. Verse 15, And it shall come to pass, when Pharaoh would hardly let us go, that the Lord slew all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all that opened at the matrix, being males, but all the firstborn of my children I redeem. So, notice he says, um, Son, the reason why we're doing this, when you ask the question, the reason why we're doing this is because the Lord slew the firstborn in Egypt. Both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. That's what God did. That's how God delivered us, by the way. And son, the, the only reason why your life was spared is because we applied the blood. That's the only reason why you're alive today, son. So this is important for us. This is why we do what we do. We don't just observe this feast out of a ritual. We understand we observe this because of what God has done and God, Son, spared your life by the death of a lamb. So we're going to do this every year so that you would be reminded of that. And notice verse 16, he says, And it shall be, notice, it shall be for a token upon thine hand. What is going to be a token? Well, we could say, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, but more specifically, the token is what? The Lamb, again. The Lamb is going to be a token of what? Of redemption. Now, the picture is that, again, as I mentioned, the, the, the ass would be representative of the life of the firstborn. That's why the ass had to be a firstborn. And so it was representative of his life. And so every year, if you would being illustrated before him every year, being illustrated before him, the firstborn son would be, am I going to die or am I going to live? And he would know that if there was a lamb, he would live. But if there was no lamb, he would die. So it is a token upon thine hand and notice, and for frontlets between thine eyes, for by strength of hand the Lord brought us forth out of Egypt. So he said back in verse 2, Sanctify unto me all the firstborn, 
Whatsoever openeth the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and of beast, it is mine. And I want us to think about our lives tonight. You may say, well, Pastor, I, I have my life. And I would say to you that you're wrong. It is not your life. It is not your life to take. It is not your life to live as you please those, all those, all those who were redeemed, which is what? The firstborn are reminded again and again that the reason why they've been sanctified, the reason why they've been set apart, the reason why they've been declared holy is because they, as the firstborn, have been redeemed. And they are to remember that when they go into a pagan land. When they're going to be in the midst of a people who are ungodly and idol worshipers and they are to do this every year, time and time and time again. So, well, how can we conclude and make an application? Well, I think that there is... um, there is aspects in our lives where we as, as, as believers and maybe you as an individual or if you have a family that you have to come to the place where you ask yourself this question, why, why do we do what we do? Why do we go to church every, every week? Several times a week? Why, why, why do we do that? Why, why is that important to us? That's the question. Why is it, why is it important to you? To, to come and sing praise to the Lord. Uh, why set, set a, another time apart during the week when we observe the Lord's table? Why is it important to, to do that? Why do we do, th- do those things? And it's possible for us, uh, as we beware of the leaven of the, the Pharisees or the Sadducees of Herod, that uh, there has to be a, a constant purging out of the leaven. Whatever the leaven is in our lives. And so we have to be Constantly on the forefront, a reminder that that we, all of us who are redeemed, have been set apart. That's why in 1 Peter he says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. That's what God says. We've been called to be holy. And somebody might say, well, you, uh, you're just full of yourself. You're, you're just interested in looking like you're better than everybody else. And I would say to you, no, the reason why we are holy, it is based, what's the foundation of us desiring to live a holy life? It is our redemption. It is the fact that we are unholy. It is the fact that we are just like representative of that, that ass that is, that is guilty and that is to die time and time again. But now we, re- we realize that we have been saved by the mighty hand of God and we've been set apart to what? To serve God and to be holy and to be used for God's purpose and not our own. We could say there's three groups of people in the world. There are those who are unregenerate. But then there are those who are regenerate but have no desire to live for God. Or they don't see their lives as being sanctified in the sense of being set apart for the use of God. It's my life. 
I'm going to do with it as I please. That's another group of people. And I think that out of all the groups in the world, they are the most miserable. But then there's another group of people. And that is those who have been redeemed who recognize that they have been sanctified by God. That they understand that God has saved me from the bondage of sin and death so that I may serve Him. So that I may bring forth fruit unto holiness before God. And so the children of Israel are to be reminded of that. And I think it's important for us also this evening to be reminded of this truth. Remember, the title is Sanctified Unto the Lord. You cannot separate those two. There is no true sanctification if it's not unto the Lord. What are we declared holy unto? We're declared holy unto the Lord. Sanctified unto the Lord. So the idea here of, of separation, I like to explain it this way. When we think about the doctrine of separation, we have to understand what that means. The goal of separation is not to be different. The goal of separation is not to be strange. The goal of separation is not to look at the world and say, wow, look at what the world's doing. Well, whatever the world's doing, that is what we're not going to do. And our focus is on the world. And how can we be different? And how can we look at the world and see what we can do and measure our lives by the world and say, well, we're better than the world. Look at us. We are, we are sanctified. No, we are sanctified unto God. The only reason why we would have any separation between us and the world is not because we're looking at the world, but because we are pursuing the Lord. And when we're pursuing the Lord, the Lord is holy, and He is the one that makes us holy. He is the one that sets us apart for His use. And so the focus of separation and sanctification is not the world. The focus of sanctification is God Himself. And when we are sanctified by God, He makes us different. So I would say to you in closing is stop trying to be different. Try to be like God. Make the pursuit of your life Christ-likeness. And when that happens you don't have to worry what the world thinks. When the world says well why are you so different? Why are you doing some weird stuff? I'm just following the Lord. Just trying to please the Lord. I'm, I'm sanctified unto the Lord. And you may think it's strange. I don't think it's strange. I love the Lord. He first loved me. And the reason why I live the way I do is, is because I want to be like Him. You see, separation, the idea of separation is, is so far removed from what men think it to be. And somebody may say, well, you are a legalist. No, we're not. We're trying to be like the Lord. Why? Because we're redeemed. And so may the Lord help us to have that mindset. The firstborn in Israel would be reminded of that, but by application to us, it's for all of us. We all are that firstborn that's been redeemed.